This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Uh, my name is Ryan and I'm a bad friend. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> We're signing under the show. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whenever you're catching this, Jesperson and Hicks, I literally, I, I had, uh, I guess, uh, 45 minutes or so had gone by without me looking at my phone, which is an <clears throat> anomaly, which is very unusual. And I've just seen a message, a text that was sent at 725 this morning uh, from John Hicks, the technical producer of this show. Uh, it reads, you here? I have some things to carry up. Help would be appreciated. <laughs> you're just seeing this now. <laughs> I'm so sorry I missed it. That's okay, buddy. It's like the friend that's like uh, finds young. out you have a pickup truck, and they're like, "Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I have a stove to move." And then I'm I'm pulling the like, "I'm so sorry I didn't see your text until Monday morning." Don't worry, I'm young and virile. I handled it. <laughs> you did accordingly. I think I owe you one though. I probably owe you one. Mm, or you. the next time mm, I ask, you. Uh, next time I ask <laughs> you for something, you might have to just conveniently miss the text as well. Yeah, you uh, you're sort of like uh, skidding into the weekend. It sounds like you got a busy one coming up, and 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 I, and I couldn't help but notice. Uh, I I saw over your shoulder a photo on the computer. It looks like at least one member of your family has some fancy new Christmas apparel yeah we've got a busy weekend and then we're, we're taking our christmas photo the the classic couple and their child and our child of course is this little gal here Priscilla, willikins oh, willie bubs she's got many names but we got her this brand new christmas sweater uh, shout out to the pet store near us. We won't say their name because they don't advertise. If they pay us, yet. we'll say their name so, all the time. Yeah. So, but look so, at this. What is this? A, is just what glorious. is a sweater for? A, what is she like? Four pounds? Five? That pounds? was seven hundred dollars. This little Chihuahua. Yeah, it looks like it was about seven hundred dollars. Twenty-four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, she's looking good, and of course, she's yeah. going to steal the show with your family photos. Yeah. Uh, we've got an amazing show coming up. Of course, in, in just a moment, Sapria Devetti joins us every Friday. We look forward to it through the week. Sapria, uh, the star of the Seriously podcast which is out every Wednesday. You can check that out at seriouslypod.com in a half hour or less. Uh, we cut through the noise of the stories making headlines across the country, the national news, the federal politics that you need to know about. But today, Johnny Supri and I are not going to talk politics because we can't ignore And, and I, I roll into this with kind of a smirk on my face, although Please. it's deadly serious. I don't Please even know don't. how to wrap my mind around it. This uh, interview, everybody knows, uh, I think by now that, that Kanye Jones, a.k.a. Ye, sat down with Alex Jones, uh, Kanye West. I call him Kanye Jones. Might as well. It might, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's just like a it's like a milk. It's like a blended milkshake of bullshit with these two. Alex yeah. Jones, obviously, is uh, I, I don't know if he's the, the, the most despicable piece of scum in the United States. But you remember this guy who has been found liable. I mean, the courts have awarded hundreds of millions of dollars to the parents of Sandy Hook shooting victims. These children that died at that elementary school in one one of the most gut-wrenching tragedies, uh, one of the most horrific crimes ever committed on American soil. Alec Jones implying that it was fake. You know that story. We covered that like six months ago. Well, Alex Jones gets yay on his show, and, and Kanye goes on to basically 
I mean, if you haven't heard the audio, we'll play a little Should bit we just for show you. It? I have, well, I have, like when, we, when we get Supriya on, we'll play it. He's gone he's full. Wearing, he's wearing like a face mask. He's, he's yeah. wearing gloves and he's talking to, he's praising Hitler. That's yeah. what he's doing. He's praising Hitler. And it's, I just, I, <laughs> I hate to say I feel bad for the guy because I feel like he's had too many chances already. But I just like, man, is there no one in this guy's family or anyone like, like I'm all for free speech. I'm all for thinking what you want. Yeah. But is there no one who just grabs this guy and says, hey. You well, know, yeah, you, there, I mean, there's free speech number and one, there's hate just, speech. You're just hurting one, right? people. Yeah, you're hurting people. You're hurting people. Uh, I, I've seen, like, Lex Friedman, who had Ye on his podcast, very, very popular podcast. And a, kind of a righty himself, but very smart. And even he was, that interview, he was thrown off by what Kanye Well, and he was said saying. yesterday, he tweeted, he said, I'm sick to my stomach from, from what I'm hearing from, from yeah. Kanye on Alex Jones. And so we'll see what Supri has to say. I don't, like, I'm to the point now where I don't know what there is really to say about it, except for, I guess, maybe a debate. Supri always finds great insights and great angles on this type of stuff. But, um, you know, people, n- number one, if this is mental illness, then should he be on these talk shows? I mean, it feels like exploitation, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, the damage that's being done from a, from a guy like Ye. I mean, first of all, you know who dodged the biggest bullet? You remember when he offered to be Donald Trump's running mate? Well, he did that like a week ago, and yeah. I was like, please, And, and you have no. to think that for Trump, that would be a, a surefire way. I mean, if you just think of the lunacy of the United States, if you just if you think of where politics has gone mm-hmm. and how people will vote and what they'll base their bo- vote on and the, mm-hmm. the immense popularity and the following that Ye has regardless. I want to hear what Supri has to say, because th- I think this boils down to also like like Britney Spears. What did she do? She partied a little. She spent too head, much money like and they, they put her in handcuffs for years. And just because he's a man like no, like, I mean. Again, I'll say it. Is there no one in this guy's family who would just go to his house and be like, man, you got to turn off your social media. You got to calm down. You got to center yourself. You got to like meditate. You got to figure out what like what's your angle here? Just just to hurt. I don't. uh, Yeah. So we'll we'll find the insight there. I have mixed feelings about to be honest with you about even playing the audio. I I feel like we have to. It's to. I mean, it's been seen millions of times. But if you don't know what we're talking about, if you're not familiar with it, we'll bring you a couple of, of clips from what he had to say. But it's just like absolutely ludicrous uh cactus sheriff who's tuning in on, on the live chat says the default is to laugh at yay but his mental breakdown is being broadcast to the world and uh cactus sheriff says i'm not excusing what he said but he needs help i think you nailed it I'm like that's that's kind of the assessment i think i have uh, jillian says oh by the way jillian uh you are in the mix in today's trash talk i can't wait she's got a great one no surprise for folks that are familiar with jillian one of our regular commenters she says kanye's been toxic for years uh but folks were okay when he was being toxic toward groups that didn't matter to them Mm -hmm. and she probably hits a nail on the head with that one right (laughs) yeah she goes on to say a, a trump west ticket would would seriously stand a chance in america i believe so too that's what's so scary i yeah. th- I think if they did it they'd, they'd probably win i mean that's the state of the world right now can you imagine I, and, and i say that donald trump dodged the biggest bullet i think adidas probably dodged the biggest bullet yeah right if you if you look at of course that company walking away from kanye what was it now about three weeks ago something like that i think mm-hmm. people said it cost him about a billion dollars mm-hmm. but Again, that that's not the biggest issue. Is like how much money people are losing that's here. That's the other thing he keeps talking about. You know, they're taking up, dude. Billion dollars is nothing to you. Like, yeah. are you are you poor? Yeah. Like he'll be making money in perpetuity off music for the rest of his life if he doesn't make another song ever again. So Jimmy Kimmel last night characterized it with Kanye West sitting down with Alex Jones as 
two guys who lost a billion dollars this year. <laughs> that was pretty good. Sabrina Devetti coming up in just a second. Before we get to her, these conversations happen because of sponsors like the family-owned team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. And uh, their chicken sale, remember that one we were talking to you about, the Doggy Moggy sale, 20% off last month. It was such a huge success, so they're keeping the party going at granddog.ca. Their newest blend, Doggy Moggy Beef Chicken, you go to the Shop Now link at granddog.ca, is on sale 20% off the entire month of December. The offer is available to everybody. You don't need a discount code, which is fantastic. Uh, the offer valid on orders placed all the way through December 1st through the 31st. Minimum $50 order not to be combined with other promotions. Plus, we wanted to remind you, you have that photo of our beloved Mo. You want to throw that up there? This is one of our pups. This is Moses, and he's a boxer that's heading into an advanced age and so he's starting to move a little more slowly we're seeing that joint pain so this is just real life kind of stuff the team at grand dog is helping us navigate this and so you go to the shop down link and you'll be able to see some of the supplements that we're using and some of the alternative protein options and all the cool things uh, johnny we're going with the four leaf rover the green eggs joint and mobility support supplement and uh, I'm going to keep is you that all a posted. Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> or a uh, Dr. Seuss reference? Yeah, isn't yeah, that yeah. great? Green eggs. I love that. And we're, you know, I mean, confident. The other advice we've had from Grand Dog has been amazing in helping both of our pups achieve the most healthy lives possible, including Monroe's coat, our black lab. Eating raw has done wonders for her coat. Everybody comments on it. Everybody's, How's she doing? Look at that girl. She's doing amazing. Great. At AthabascaU.ca, you can learn more about Athabasca University. You know, hey, a new year, maybe a new you. If you're going to look to take your education to the next level in 2023, Athabasca University is Canada's anyone, anywhere, anytime open university for advanced learning. You can check them out right now, AthabascaU.ca. Check out some faculty-specific options like humanities. Their humanities faculty explores what makes us human in culture and literature and history and art and philosophy. Discover Athabasca University's social sciences programs today at AthabascaU.ca. At McBain Camera, they are, of course, we've been talking to you all the way through the month, providing you some great options, some great ideas for that hard-to-buy-for creator in your life. Today, we're focusing on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body. The holiday sale is on now at McBainCamera.com. So whether it's photography or videography, Fujifilm X-T4 has been designed to be the ultimate hybrid image-making tool. How? Well, it features a, a powerful 26.1 megapixel sensor and state-of-the-art five-axis in-body image stabilization. That means if you're shooting zoomed in or you're shooting in lower light, you're not going to get blurry images. This is a big deal. It's just $20.99.99. That's a great price for such an impressive piece of equipment. 24-hour delivery available within Edmonton. In-store pickup available at all six locations. You can shop Fujifilm holiday season details today at McBainCamera.com. McBain, create to inspire Supriya Devetti in just a moment. Johnny, why don't we tee up, it uh, doesn't matter which video of the two that I pulled, we're going to bring you a couple of moments uh, from Ye's appearance on uh, Alex Jones, Infowars, of course, the show. I uh, get this kind of, you know when you don't brush your teeth, you're camping for like four days and you get that kind of taste in your mouth? That's the taste I have, bringing you Infowars comments on uh, these uh, airwaves, so to speak. But what are you going to do? Here's the context. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well... I I see I I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew I love everyone and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can 
love, um, you know, us. And you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts. And you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician, you can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good. And I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Especially Hitler. Sapria Devetti is the better half of Seriously Podcast Out Wednesday, Senior Counsel at Enterprise Canada, Director of Policy and Engagement at the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy uh, at McGill University. He joins us every Friday here on the show. I, I, I try to describe it as like the feeling when you don't brush your teeth for a week uh, hearing that. I, I don't know how you're wrapping your mind around it. Where are you at? I, that's just an incredibly scary time to be a Jewish person right now. And um you know, you and Johnny were talking about how you felt about replaying those clips. And I got to be honest, hearing it uh, just now um, wasn't great, Ryan. <laughs> um, I, I totally get why the editorial decision to play it. Obviously, you know, there's a, a willingness here to inform and that makes sense. But I will just, you know, I was watching it sort of unfurl yesterday on on Twitter live. And I mean, you know, we we literally have one of the biggest celebrities on the planet going full Nazi. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the last little bit, um, Trump uh, and his election and, you know, his sort of um, winking and, and nodding to anti-Semitism, you know, the Charlottesville uh, rally in which they were chanting Jews will not replace us um, to, you know, Kyrie Irving just pa- this past month posting like that w- anti-Semitic propaganda movie linked to his Twitter, um, Dave Chappelle's SNL monologue, right? Like it, Trump dining with Kanye and that other neo-Nazi influencer. Like this is this is really bad. Um, and, you know, hate crimes against Jews uh, have been increasing. Um and it's I, I really would just like people to really understand how scary it must be for anybody who's Jewish um, right now and particularly in, in, in America right now. So how do you like, first of all, you know, we have to consider the source uh, and I'm not talking about yay. I'm talking about the platform, about Infowars. No. It's an entirely different. It's different than if yay is on with Don Lemon or if he's on with like Vashi Capellos, or if he's on with Jimmy Fallon, or if it's something like this, right? It's different when it's Infowars because, I mean, I think the word despicable fits. I mean, the guy denies uh, the validity of, of school shootings that have claimed, you know, mass killings that claims the lives of children. I think everybody is, is familiar with Alex Jones. I'm not saying he gets a pass, but I'm just saying you can't appeal to, to his empathy or his humanity. We're not talking about should CNN grant an interview to Ye if he's at this point or if he's saying these types of things. But but with regards uh, to, to the amplification of this message, I mean, that I mean, you use the word scary. I think it fits. The question is, what is the general public? We're talking about hundreds of millions or billions of people around the world that are going to hear these comments. What does the average person do about it? I, I mean, I hope the average person stands up against anti-Semitic remarks and acts whenever they are encountered with them. But I think the fear here is that when you have, again, one of the biggest celebrities on the planet um, going full-fledged Nazi here um, and fully, you know, full-throatedly endorsing and praising Hitler and denying the Holocaust, like 
that's going to mainstream a lot of this stuff in a much more overt way than, you know, we have uh, previously seen. And in the aftermath of his first sort of, um, I mean, not first, but in like earlier into, I think it was like in October, um, he went on this uh, anti-Semitic, another anti-Semitic rant. And I mean, that led to a bunch of uh, tangible acts of anti-Semitism. You had um, near a freeway in, in the uh, greater LA area uh, unfurled with anti-Semitic remarks. And, you know, it's, it's just, the stuff doesn't exist in, in a vacuum and it's very hard to get the hate uh, back into the toothpaste tube, so to speak, once it's already out there. And, you know, if I, as, as I mentioned, I mean, this stuff has been percolating for a while. Um, but when you've, you, you have these people with these huge platforms um, and that have lots of adoring fans, right, that hang on every word that they say, um, it's, uh, it it's leads us to a very dark place. And I just, you know, it's, I get the people trying to make excuses for him um, because of his mental illness. But I'm sorry, like you don't just by bipolar disorder or any sort of mental disorder, uh, you know, affliction that somebody may have doesn't automatically make somebody a raging anti-Semite. Like this isn't, this is on him. Um, and you, you know, this is uh, to, to Johnny's point, I think he said like, does he not have just a friend or a, somebody, a family, somebody in his life that can be like, dude, like, go like put your phone down, go get some help. I, I, I agree he needs help um, and a lot of it, but I, I don't think I would pin this on, on you know, his, uh, his, his mental state right now. Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, you know, Tony right now in our live chat says Kanye was uh, making Alex Jones look sane. Yeah, uh, What a bizarre was. world we live in. Alex Jones, can, you want to tee up the other clip? We're going to play one other clip uh, just just for content. I mean, I, fuck. Yeah, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. We're, we're talking it, yeah. about it. So so here's here's another snippet. For those that are listening on the podcast, this will be most of you. If you haven't seen it already, he's holding up like a little puppet that he's made. And he's doing the voice of the puppet. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. Here it is. I was tired of picking up the Yahoo and the Netting. So... For now, he's just netting. I know some people call him BB. I know some of you call him Yahoo. But we're going to call him netting. What you want, netting? Hey, yeah, right after this, I'm going to say you're crazy. I'm going to take your, your family away from you. We're not done with you yet. You cannot cause free thought. We have to control the history books. We have to control the banks. And we have to go and kill people. Also, we're in the pedophilia. Ha, ha, ha. So... And in a little while, hopefully you're going to take the mask off because this, is this actually yay here? <laughs> yeah, ha, ha, ha. Uh, the reference to Benjamin Netanyahu, the, Jills, the, the Jews killing people, controlling the media. I mean, it, this is this is the, the, the same tropes we've heard uh, throughout history. I feel like everything I'm saying is is really obvious, but you can sense the discomfort that even Alex Jones is feeling. And again, to reiterate, this is a guy that's called the Sandy Hook mass killing a hoax and He's uncomfortable with this. You think he regrets doing the interview? Everybody's talking. He doesn't regret doing the interview. But do you think in a way he does? Like Alex Jones is a father. He is, he is a human being with blood moving through his veins. You think that he feels a, a tinge of regret? You think if somebody, heaven forbid, I don't even like to put this out there. I don't even like to say it out loud, but let's have some real talk. If somebody firebombs a synagogue this weekend inspired by Kanye West, you think Alex Jones would feel maybe a, little bit responsible 
No, I mean, I don't think so. Um, I, I, he is, you know, presumably has regular blood coursing through his veins and whatnot, but I think he's proven himself to be an irredeemable person in terms of whether or not he has any like guilt over this. I, I think it's probably more likely that if he does regret anything, um, he's probably watching some uh, telegram channels, a few, you know, re- uh, threads on reddit or 4chan or what have you um because a lot of folks are expressing discomfort with the overt um you know nazism that uh west displayed so that may be i think more where his concerns lie i don't think he has any sort of concerns with what the you know after effects of of this could be and you know to your point that's a very real fucking possibility and that's terrifying again this is terrifying um that uh jews have to fear for their safety um because you have very prominent people pushing this to the fore let me bring that we're talking about anti-semitism and if, if you t- if you listen to groups like like i think of b'nai b'rith or there's there's many around the world um that, that are advocating for demanding more of a gutsy national international conversation about the rise in anti-semitism uh there's evidence everywhere yeah. a story that that david aiken a uh, former colleague of yours and mine with global news reported on uh, people can check out globalnews.ca mps condemn a controversial publisher's attendance at a parliament hill reception uh this this is a, a pretty interesting one you want to take us into this the liberal mp that chairs the canada palestine parliamentary friendship group um, among Canadian politicians condemning the presence of this man accused of being a Holocaust denier at a reception held earlier this week uh, to mark the International Day of Solidarity with Palestinian people. Yeah, so uh, it's a Liberal MP who chairs it, as you mentioned, uh, Salma Zahid. It's uh, the Canada-Palestine Parliamentary Friendship Group. And you know her office said that she put out like a general invitation um, for the event to uh, the Canadian Palestinian Organizations Coalition, which is a bit of a catch-all umbrella group um, that has all sorts of member organizations that uh, advocate for the rights of, of Palestinians. Um, and the anti-Semite in question confirms he wasn't directly invited by any MP, including the Liberal MP, but by one of those, you know, um, uh, member organizations that fall under that umbrella group. And, you know, there were MPs from all parties. Um, There was at least one uh, conservative MP that was there. Uh, NDP were were present. The Liberals were present. And they've all sort of come out and and condemned this guy and anti-Semitism more generally. And like, okay, that's all well and good, but perhaps these sorts of things should be looked at with a little bit more scrutiny, uh, particularly when we're in this moment in time, right? And uh, you put up that piece that David Aiken wrote for Global News, and he gets to one really, um, he asks this one really good question in, in it. And it's like something along the lines of, you know, how much responsibility should these MPs bear for having um, these types of uh, events, right? And like the fact that none of the events organizers or any of the MPs that were attending knew about this guy being there or knew about his background. Um, it, it Like this sort of thing has cropped up in the past before, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think MPs do need to be much more careful about this. And perhaps we do need to rethink about who gets invited um, uh, to, you know, a party basically with, with a bunch of MPs. And 
I think with hate crimes the way they are um, against Jewish people in this country, we have to be really fucking mindful about mainstreaming this sort of thing and, um, you know, stamping out hate and anti-Semitism when when we see it and when we can. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I don't even I, I feel like this is just one of those moments where there's almost nothing to say. I'm looking and it's it's not it's not like a subtle reference. A lot of times these insidious remarks or these these perspectives are held by people that'll uh i think of a joke that was making its way around you saw this probably on social media last week where someone was talking about like and uh, hey hashtag not all conservatives but it was just it was, it was an interesting take where someone said you know the worst part is that conservatives always have their views censored and the other person says what do you mean like you're being censored about the free market and they said no not that one and then they said what do you mean you're being censored about like small government and they said no not that one and then the person said, well, which of your conservative views are being censored? And the person said, you know the ones. And I kind of went, that's like the subtle nod. This is not obviously an assessment of the conservative movement. But I'm saying that within political parties, within national agencies and organizations, within some corporate structures, within some of our friend groups, maybe, these attitudes exist and something like what happens on InfoWars with Kanye West emboldens people that have these views to feel like they're more mainstream or they're more acceptable or they're less heinous. And that's yeah. what worries me is that Kanye West, if you looked at, for example, everyone's doing their Spotify, what are they called, Johnny? The, the end wrapped. of the year, the Spotify wrapped, right? Everyone's looking at what, who they downloaded the most and what they listened to the most. I bet you... In the U.S. and around the world, he's right up there at the top. I would almost guarantee it, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, I want to touch on something you said because it's interesting. You, uh, the fact that, and I, I sort of made a similar comment about the dangers of you know somebody like Kanye mainstreaming this and bringing it to the fore, and that's that's of course true. But w what I worry about is that um, some of the more insidious, some of the more coded anti-Semitic tropes um, tend to, you know, pass under the radar um, and are given somewhat tacit acceptance. It's, it's, it's easy, of course, to condemn somebody once they're literally praising Hitler, right? Um, and I, it's obviously good that people are doing that. But like, um, this has been happening for a while. And Kanye himself has been delving in anti-Semitic uh, remarks for quite some time now, like at least for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, and I think we need to be mindful of the fact, and you pointed this out, that a lot of the stuff are age old tropes. And like, you know, when you're talking about Soros controlling everybody, or you're talking about, you know, some sort of grand conspiracy, um, then often what, you know, is under the surface is anti-Semitism. And that isn't just an idea or a tweet that you're putting out into the ether that then affects very real Jewish people and their safety. Um, and I think uh, we should all be doing a better job of like it, it, calling it out, but also like getting to the more coded stuff too, because yeah. that I think is, is insidious as well. You and I have known each other a long time. Can I, can I make an observation? I feel like there's something different about the vibe of our conversation today. Yeah, because it's fucking shitty. Yeah, like, like I feel like yeah. I, I feel like they're like you and I are usually laughing, or we'll call, yeah. we'll throw a couple hand grenades or whatever. And I just, I feel kind of like we're both a little bit demoralized. I, I yeah. feel like like, and maybe that's not even an adequate word, but it's it's kind of like I feel like everyone just is shaking, like going what? 
You know, this is what I feel like. What? Like Kanye has almost double the amount of followers, if not more. Actually, I haven't looked at the numbers, but he he has double or more the amount of followers than there are Jews in the world. Hmm. OK, OK. Like once you put that into context of like him spouting, espousing this anti-Semitism and like, you know, I, I think it the numbers kind of are, are jarring and shocking. Um, and then you juxtapose that with like hate crimes in the U.S. and here, too, by the way. Um, and it becomes like this just I don't know, it's like a pit in my stomach that mm. I'm like, fuck, man, like something's got to give. And and clearly, I don't think we're going in the right direction. And, you know, if if Trump and, and West like <laughs> combine on a ticket like no, you guys were musing, like like let's just all hide under a pile of coats until like. Well, then you have an you know? actual Nazi uh, that, that in theory, uh, you know, could could hold office of the vice president of the United States like an actual Nazi. Uh, not a rumored Nazi, not somebody that's a Nazi sympathizer. And by the way, not that it matters, but Adolf Hitler did not invent the microphone nor highways. Yeah, I know. So just like that's like the least important thing to point out. But it's also important to point out that he doesn't even know what like, it doesn't even make sense. Well, it obviously doesn't make sense. But you know what I'm saying? Sapria Devetti every Friday. And don't forget, Sapria uh, and I, every Wednesday, seriouslypod.com. Uh, something we're really proud of and want you to check out. Uh, I'll, I'll, let, let's shake it off. I don't know what the equi- yeah, the, the yeah, intellectual and mental equivalent of like a cold shower, just like a go, the, the intellectual or mental equivalent of going to brush our teeth and use that high-powered mouthwash and move on to have a wonderful weekend with our families. I'll see your face next week, yeah? Looking forward to it, Ryan. All right, Sapria, thanks very much. You can let us know what you think about this. I don't know if you can find the words that I can't. Uh, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timbers coming up in just uh, two minutes' time. We're talking about Alberta politics because that's what the entire country is talking about right now. These conversations are presented by sponsors like the team, the family-owned team at Friesen Brothers. Of course, they've been celebrating the life of founder Frank Loveson this week. Passed away on November 20th. A really remarkable guy. Founded Friesen Brothers more than 65 years ago in Hinton, Alberta. Grown that company. 16 locations across the province. Alberta grown and Alberta owned. If you're watching on YouTube, there's Frank right there. Just a few weeks ago, uh, observing that gold medal win from the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers, the best store, the best grocery store in Canada this year is that Rabbit Hill South Edmonton location for Friesen Brothers. A huge shout out to them. The Christmas dinner box orders have started at Friesen.com. F-R-E-S-O-N. Christmas is coming. It's a Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box. Uh, Chef-prepared catering, easy to reheat while the table's being set. It can feed up to four people, but if you need 40, you just get 10 of them. It's that simple. Our family does it every year. I personally recommend them. If you're a professional engineer listening from anywhere across the country right now and you're looking for a change of pace, maybe you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel inspired, you'd like to get into automation and maybe give your clients back their time, maybe get some time back yourself, a corporate culture that that actually reflects that you're valued to the team apex automation would love to hear from you they're doing a ton of innovative and amazing work across the country vancouver and saskatoon lloyd calgary edmonton into the u.s where they're opening new offices in natural gas processing chemical manufacturing potash mining oil extraction pipelines robotics materials handling brewing they're doing it all at apex automation check out the careers link 
on their website. You can get to that, uh, the sponsors tab on ours at ryanjesperson.com. At kubienergy.ca, you can find solar energy solutions to power your life, whether it's your residence, maybe it's an off-grid cottage or cabin that you're looking to run power to. Hey, maybe it's your barn. It could be an industrial operation. Kubi does it all across BC and Alberta. And of course, they're really, really keen on getting people hooked up with this $40,000 0% loan from the federal government. You go to the blog link at kubienergy.ca and you can learn more about the Canada Greener Homes Loan. You get 10 years to pay it off. You can get solar panels up on your roof right now and start saving with Kubi Renewable Energy. And then, John, there's a there's kind of an interesting uh, well, there's an interesting addition to our studio table this morning, if you will. Now, typically, this big guy is on the floor. But if you want to maybe take the wide shot, if you wouldn't mind, look at this thing. This is absolutely stunning. We've got a couple of these in our studio from our friends at Urban Timber. This is the block collection. Let me try to describe this. If you're listening on the podcast, these are giant reclaimed timbers that were mainly found in old grain elevators from across the prairies. Like we're talking in some circumstances more than 100 years old. Put your hand on this thing. It's hard to describe. They're fir timbers. They were milled over a century ago from old growth trees just trying to catch the rings is part of the fun trying to figure out how old these things are well urban timber has their block collection which consists of things like coffee tables and end tables these are 12 by 12 inch timbers in a variety of finishes and sizes and then they're set in many circumstances in signature custom metal cradles they are a stunning addition to any design situation whether this is a living room a corporate office what have you they mill each timber then they sand and finish them with a silky smooth coating it guarantees a wow factor response from your friends family and guests you can check out the remarkable block collection at urbantimber.ca or you can check out their brand new showroom it's open this saturday in west edmonton from 10 a.m to 4 p.m you can find all the details at urbantimber.ca of course, every Friday, our Real Talk Roundtable is presented by our friends at Urban Timber. And this week, we're talking about Alberta politics because, quite frankly, that's what everybody's talking about this week. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, her government tabling Bill 1. It's the long-promised Alberta sovereignty within a United Canada Act. And people are trying to figure out, is it constitutional or not? Is it going to pass or not? It's obviously going to pass. What's it going to mean for Alberta's relationship with Ottawa? What does this mean for the average Albertan, including investment in the province and the like? We've rallied three uh, voices that have expert perspectives on this. Tyler Dawson is the Alberta correspondent for the National Post. You can find him on Twitter at Tyler R. Dawson. Danny Parody, a great friend of this show, a journalist for APTN News and other outlets. Of course, you can follow her online as well. And making his Real Talk debut, a political science professor out of the University of Alberta, Dr. Fio Snagovsky, whose research examines political behavior and party politics in Alberta and Canada. To the three of you, welcome to the Real Talk Roundtable. It's, it's wonderful to have the three of you here. Tyler, why don't we start with you? Uh, to call this an eventful week in Alberta politics would even be an understatement, considering the magnitude of what's resonating across the country. How are you processing what you saw through the throne speech uh, and through the beginning of the fall session? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that uh, a lot of us are watching at the moment is how some of this stuff is comparing to what Danielle Smith said in her leadership 
or her race to, to be the leader of the United Conservatives and, and the Premier, and what sort of tone that's going to set um, with an election six months away. So in the case of the Sovereignty Act, you know, I think a lot of us were looking to see um, if she'd backed off on some of the promises there, um, the throne speech, whether or not that was going to go big on some of the um, maybe more fringe elements, uh, fringe promises that she'd made, um, or whether or not it was going to stick to some of the bread and butter issues that people have been talking about, and that and that polling sort of shows are the primary concerns of Alberta. And so, you know, I think uh, that's sort of the lens, I guess, in, in some ways that I've been watching all of this uh, with this week. Danny, we've been uh, speaking with different commentators, different political observers, and, and and at the very beginning, before the throne speech, when Premier Smith said that her government would not table legislation to amend the Human Rights Code to protect unvaccinated Albertans, people wondered if she was taking her foot off the gas a little bit. And then the throne speech, and then Bill won, and everybody went, oh my gosh, this is this is going almost even further than we expected. Were you surprised, including, base, you know, I mean, the political ramifications of all of this? Well, I think that there could be some wisdom there. I mean, we did often see with um, Premier Jason Kenney that he would fight a fight on many different fronts. And so this could be showing uh, more of an element of calculation where she she's aware that uh, she's going to be spending a lot of political capital talking about sovereignty. And perhaps she can't also take on um, the Sovereignty Act in addition to uh, introducing vaccine status in the Human Rights Code. So I, I think we saw some strategy there from Smith. Theo, you, you've been taking a look at this through a bit of a different lens. I mean, as a political scientist, I know you're, you're, you're digging into the, can I call it the viability of this? Can you give our audience a sense of your angle of approach on this story? Yeah, I think I've been looking at it broadly from the perspective of, is this good for democracy? You know, th there's, I think, a real temptation to pay attention to the horse race aspect of it all. You know, what does this mean for her electoral viability? Does this mean that she's going to be the shortest premier in the world of history? Uh, shortest tenure, rather. Uh, but I, I think we need, really need to step back and look at the broader context. And I think that context is the fact that in Canadian politics, just as we've seen around the world, we're seeing more and more acceptance of politicians who are willing to skirt democracy, who are willing to bend the rules a little bit to get short-term political things done. I think that's a real danger for us going forward. Okay, let me ask you to further develop that thought. And then I want to go to the, the journalists on the panel as well for the, for their assessment or, or you know what they'd like to, to add to it or contribute to it. When, when you talk about things like, you know, people will say something is undemocratic or this is a threat to democracy. Um, I, I think that it's applied in more circumstances than where it fits. So can you convince our audience that that label fits this scenario? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, something that I've really realized over the last little while listening to the discourse around democracy is that we really need to start defending democracy from first principles, you know, from the ground up and can't take it for granted as much as we have in the past. So, you know, to start, why does this matter? Why is democracy even a good thing? You know, there's this widely attributed quote to Churchill that it's the worst system except for all of the others. And, you know, that that's actually true to some extent because it's the only way we've really figured out to make politics even remotely responsive to the people in any systematic way. And if we lose our ability to hold our leaders accountable, we don't get it back. So democracy in that sense is the ability of the people to get their leaders to do what they want. Now, this new piece of legislation um, is undemocratic for a whole bunch of reasons, but I'm going to focus on 
to just to keep the message simple. The first is the provisions that allow cabinet to change legislation unilaterally. Now, there's a whole walk back yesterday about how this was only in the context of resolutions passed by the legislature. And therefore, it is, according to Brian Jean, the most democratic uh, piece of legislation ever. And that's not the case because you know, even if the legislature sets out the broad principles, it's still up to cabinet to make those decisions, which is not how legislation is passed in Canada or in any other advanced democracy. You know, we don't leave it to executives, to cabinet ministers, to politicians behind closed doors to change laws however they see fit. There's a reason we go through this process of democratic accountability in the legislature, in public, you know, with, with the benefit of the public watching. Uh, to debate these things and to figure out the best way to proceed. Second way it's undemocratic is because of the changes to, you know, the challenges to the constitution, which is this foundational document we have and sets the rules of the game for how everything else operates. And the constitution outlines this division of power between the federal and provincial governments and sets it out for the court to decide who gets what, whose jurisdiction uh which pieces of policy fall into which pieces, which which levels of government jurisdiction. And it's fundamentally not for politicians to decide because those decisions will inherently be political. And by challenging that premise, Daniel Smith and the Alberta Sovereignty Act is challenging the constitution by saying, well, we don't need the court. We don't need the rule of law. We're gonna decide as politicians, we know what's best. Tyler, I'm sure you had a chance to read your colleague uh, Carson Jeremy's uh, piece, his feature. He's, what, I think he's the opinion editor, right, at, at National Post. Um, his, his piece, I know that the premier liked it. It says, surprise, Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act is very likely constitutional. And he makes his argument. People can read it at nationalpost.com. And he says what you think you might know about Daniel Smith's Alberta Sovereignty Act is probably wrong. Uh, do you have some insights into what you think the future of this might look like or, or, or comments on what Dr. Fio just had to say? I think the question of whether or not it, it's constitutional is, I don't want to say a sideshow, but it's a little bit of a sideshow. Um, you know, nobody's going to the ballot box in six months time wondering about whether or not, you know, a constitutional piece of legislation was passed. Maybe not nobody, but, you know, I don't think that's, that's not necessarily the issue that everyone, um, your, your sort of average Albertan, I think, is seized with. Um, the bigger question to me from sort of a policy perspective and, and as a reporter is looking at what the impacts of this are going to be. Um, you know, even unconstitutional legislation can cause quite a bit of drama in these sort of intervening months or years. And, and so the, the issue that I see here is sort of separate from the constitutionality. It's, you know, what is this going to do to things like investor confidence? Um, is this going to be successful in any way? Um, you know, I, I think it's, in the interest of, I suppose, fairness, uh, reasonable to ask whether or not this might actually lead to some wins that the, the United Conservatives have been hoping for for a long time. Um, and, and you know, the constitutionality of it is the, the irony is that uh, you've got experts all over the place saying it's not or it's not constitutional. You've got a handful of people saying it is probably constitutional. Um, the reality is we sort of don't know and we're not going to know until the courts weigh in on that. And um, they don't move sort of especially quickly. So in that intervening time, I think there's all these questions about what it's going to actually do or not do. Yeah. 
That's the ultimate question. That's what people care about. We talked to Rick Bell yesterday, the columnist of the Calgary Sun, a highly animated interview and a compelling guest to be sure. And, and that was his thing is like uh, making the assertion. And I think he's right. It's not to say it's insignificant whether or not this is constitutional. It's obviously very significant and very relevant. But if does the average person care about that on on December 2nd in the middle of the holiday season with kids running around the house and the walk that needs to be shoveled and everything else? Like, does the average person understand the significance? Does the average person care? Does the average person understand what it means for them? Danny, do you think? No, and, and how could they? I mean, I think even for people whose job it is to pay attention to this all day, uh, which is all of us on the panel, um, it's hard to parse whether or not this, like, not being a constitutional lawyer myself, um, whether or not this could fall under, you know, a federal disallowance or or what could happen. So if, if you have those, I think Tyler called them bread and butter concerns, we're worried about inflation, worried about costs, uh, inevitably you're worried about Christmas and, and quite uh, increasingly worried about viral spread in schools, uh, taking time to look through the constitutionality of a legislation, what that means for you, what that means for investment, that's a very high, high ask. We know that most... Um, most voters do not think about these sorts of things. And and yet, um, it, there were polls even before uh, this act came into play that that uh, that showed that there was not a lot of, um, uh, of joy, let's call it, uh, about uh, the police, uh, bringing in Alberta police, bringing in uh, the Sovereignty Act, or, or this kind of ongoing combative fight. It will always be popular for a premier to um, to fight with the federal government. That's their job uh, when it comes to funding. But there, there's a point I think where Albertans are starting to feel a little fatigued at the amount of fights that our our government tends to pick. Not everybody. There's always going to be people who are uh, who are happy to see that. But if you look at say the the chiefs, um, their primary concern right now is on making sure that this doesn't infringe on on the sovereignty that they're trying to establish. Yeah, you're you're talking about the treaty six, seven, and eight, uh, Grand mm-hmm. Chiefs, and interesting. I and I I'll, I'll be honest, it is important to me. We try to you know we play our clips a little bit later, like in this show, we play the longer clips. It, context to us is really important, and I'm about to make an observation of something that I saw potentially out of context. If if any of the three of you have insight on it, I'd appreciate it. But I, I understand yesterday as the premier took questions about this, uh, Danny specifically in the context of Treaty Six, Seven, and Eight Chiefs. Uh, she said that, that ministers would, would reach out to, quote, help them understand, uh, which to me, again, whether or not it's out of context seems like a, a, a bit of a, uh, well, dismissive and dangerous way to approach that type of a thing, would you say? Yeah, I have to say I did not see the clip, so I, I didn't okay. hear her voice inflections or anything, but I, I did see commentary on it online. Um, it it probably spread so far because people, uh, I would say the Chiefs are very much feeling as though they were not included. I, I spoke with Chief Tony Alexis from Alexis Nakota Sioux First Nation, and you know he's saying, well, everybody has my phone number, but nobody's called, and it wasn't until the um, the Chiefs from the Chiefs from Treaty Seven, Six, Seven, and Eight actually held a press conference to denounce the coming legislation that we that they had any um any calls from the government so they're they're quite annoyed with that and and that is quite a surprising thing i think that daniel smith actually 
she's worked as an Indigenous critic. She's spent time um, on reserve talking, uh, especially on the oil and gas portfolio. And, and so she has an existing relationship, um, but she is damaging it by um, by not consulting with them before coming in with this very bombastic legislation, especially from a, a First Nations perspective. I mean, yeah. imagine hearing about sovereignty. Um when you're fighting for your own. Fair enough. Uh, KP on the live chat says, I wonder what, and we talked about this uh, earlier this week, you know, if you, you, you apply something to your political opponent, something that your political party is doing, apply it to your opponent. Are you still cool with it? KP says, I wonder what Danielle and the UCP would say if Rachel Notley and the NDP were to implement an act like this. Um, we can circle back on that in just a moment. Kathy says, I'm tired of the provincial government wasting my tax dollars on lawyers fighting things they know they can't win in court. Sure. I mean, yeah, Charlotte says what the average person understands is that this will probably make things more difficult. And the average person is probably focused on health care, but they're so tired of arguing, which they see is that's all they see politicians doing. This was Danielle Smith from the podium just after Bill 1 was tabled talking to reporters. We are finally telling the federal government no more. It's time to stand up for Alberta. Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, is a first step in standing up for Albertans and pushing Ottawa back into its own lane. When passed, this legislation will create a constitutional legal framework for Alberta to push back against federal interference and encroachment. Uh, Dr. Snagovsky, where does this go from here? Uh, what do you think? Uh, the Prime Minister says he's not looking for a fight. I'm not convinced of that, as a matter of fact. I think that a fight could serve him well. I think at the same time, it could serve Premier Smith well at the same time, which means we're likely to see one if both of them stand to benefit. But, but what does your expert eye tell you? I mean, I, I don't know either of them personally, so I don't have any inside scoops on how raring for a fight they are. I think your, your political instincts are probably right. They, they do stand to benefit both of them from a fight, although I think Daniel Smith probably considerably more than Justin Trudeau at this stage in the electoral cycle. So I think she's probably very keen for a fight, which is what she's doing here. Um, I think the prime minister probably, you know, is more keen for a fight than he lets on, but probably less keen for a fight than we might assume. So I think, you know, the, the next step, I think appropriately is for it to go to the courts. And, you know, as soon as this thing is passed, as, as, as you said, I'm sure it will be, um, you know, because the UCP have a majority of seats in the legislature. So almost certainly will be passed. So I think the next step is for it to go to uh, judicial review. And, you know, you, we, we talked uh, a moment ago about, um, but Tyler's colleague at the National Post, uh, Carson, he wrote an article talking about how it very likely is constitutional. And, and I, you know, I've worked with Carson before. I don't, I don't know him very well, but he seems like a really good guy, a really smart guy. But I think he got it wrong. And mm. I would just direct people to uh, my colleague at the University of uh, Alberta, Eric Adams. He wrote a piece in the Globe on the 28th. I think it was Monday. Um, right before the act was tabled on the, on the Tuesday, and I would just direct people to you know, his analysis there about how. Uh, I think they're in for a really rough ride in the courts. And I think, you know, the cynical part of me tells me that that's kind of what Daniel Smith wants. I was just going to say, wants, I was yeah. just going to say, she wants, it doesn't matter yeah. if she loses, right? No, because she no, tried it. He, she tried it. So there, there's two things, right? The first is that she tried it and she can say, look, we tried this. We did what we're going to say, what we said, what we're going to do. Um, and the second thing she can say is it's the federal institutions in Ottawa, the Supreme Court in Ottawa, who didn't let us stand up for Albertans' rights. 
that you know we, we they're telling us that we need permission to be prosperous and free or you know whatever other talking point she's going to trot out at that point and i think it's really irresponsible the supreme court is not like the supreme court in the united states you know, the supreme court in the united states is inherently partisan you know you have different administrations appointing different judges with very clear partisan biases. Our Supreme Court does not work that way. And I think it's really irresponsible for politicians to challenge that. Now, she, she hasn't done that yet, uh, but I just kind of want to get ahead of this, right? And I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope that when this eventually goes to the Supreme Court, the UCP government, if they're still in government at the time, is saying is not going to start saying, well, it's these liberal justices in Ottawa who are not letting us have our freedoms. Yeah, I, we've got people in the live chat, including Les, wondering, will this get royal assent? Like, will, will the lieutenant governor sign off on this? Tyler, I'm, this actually opens up a whole other can of where this is almost more like I actually think for, for nerds and geeks like us, no offense, guys, it's a compliment, um, that, you know, that, that like to sit around and, and discuss where something could go politically or whether something might survive or not or what the ramifications might look like. I'm not sure I, I love the idea of something passing or failing based on a lieutenant governor's gut instinct. Um, we could go down that path if you like, but when it all comes back to it, I think we circle back to the point of, of whether or not a win actually matters. And Tyler, I'm not sure that it does. We're talking politics here. I don't know that the win matters. No, I'm not sure it does either. I mean, really quickly on the lieutenant governor, um, she she had hinted in the summer that she was going to take a look at it and seek advice, which is totally fine. Um, but the idea that she would not give royal assent is is sort of outside of the constitutional convention. That would be, um, you know, at this point in our history, quite unusual. Remarkable. There is a sort of a residual power, but um, I, I mean, it's almost certainly not going to happen. But but I think you're right. I mean, this isn't about win or lose. Um, although, you know, I would just say, so I, I wrote a big piece on Danielle Smith back in the summer, um, September maybe, when, when she was sort of, you know, it was looking like she was going to win. And talked to a bunch of the folks who used to work for her in her wild rose years. And, and one of the things that came up over and over again is that she's a true believer. Um, you know, she really does believe the things that she says. And in, in the case of the Sovereignty Act, she probably genuinely does think that this is going to do what she says it's going to do. Um, and that is a little bit different, I think, uh, for, for better or worse, than, you know, a really, really cynical political ploy to, to pick a fight or you know, have a soft to the party base or something like that. So, you know, I think that's just, um, you know, maybe she's evolved considerably in the years since she was the UCP leader. Maybe that's not the case anymore. But I just think that that little bit of insight that a bunch of my sources told me, you know, it just sort of adds another, um, a little bit of context to the way that she's approaching this. Uh, I, I want to ask the three of you about Jason Kenney's legacy, uh, because obviously the resignation of the premier uh, from his seat uh, as an MLA in South Calgary was a significant story as well. Um, I don't know if it stole the headlines this week, but it, it certainly you know brought to an end his political career at this point, a quarter century. Um, before we do, though, uh, Doctor, I, I, I know that you've you know been doing some research and, and you've been taking a look at, at some of the bigger picture uh, stories involving democratic institutions, including what we've seen over the past three months, remarkable developments in the United Kingdom, obviously in China as well. Uh, Xi Jinping, you know, set to become, uh, the, you know, the longest serving leader. Uh, I mean, obviously uh, overtaking Mao, and this is a, a significant storyline as well. Are there some common threads when you look at um, politics around the world, uh, some of the democratic institutions, et cetera? Is there, is there a common thread or, or something that you've seen here 
that, that ties this into some of those common storylines that would indicate that maybe there are trends outside of Alberta, bigger picture trends that are happening that are influencing developments here in this part of Canada? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we've seen around the world, uh, lots of countries are, are moving away from democracy. So you, you look at places like Hungary, you look at places like Poland, places like Turkey, and even, even in France, right? You had Marie Le Pen uh, thankfully lose the last presidential election, but she, she's for two elections in a row now had a real shot. And so this is for sure part of a broader trend of people thinking that democracy may not be the only game in town anymore. And, you know, thankfully it hasn't happened to the same extent in Canada. And I just worry that we're becoming complacent that it can't happen in Canada. And it's brought on particularly by the fact that you look at places like China, I mean, not so much this last week because they've they've been having quite a lot of protest about the covid restrictions but you know before that china looked like a beacon of stability you know everything was calm orderly they had everything together and you look at places like the uk with the liz truss saga that now seems like ancient history it's only you know about a month ago yeah that uh, she resigned and they they looked like a hot mess and it was very tempting for for people to look at that and and that was those were sure the talking points coming from places like Russia and China you know look at how chaotic and unstable democracy is but in reality that's a feature not a bug you know we were able to turf our leaders in democracies that's what happened to Liz Truss she didn't leave out of the goodness of her heart she left because she didn't have any alternatives she she lacked the support to continue mm. whereas if you look at places like China and Russia you know despite okay let's take Putin right disastrous start to the the war in Ukraine. He lost thousands of lives on both sides. The armed forces are in disarray. The war has not gone well for him. And yet his hold on power is super, super strong. He is not going anywhere. And that's because he controls all of the democratic institutions that, you know, could potentially challenging, controls civil society, controls the opposition, controls the media. So that's really the danger of falling further and further back uh, along the democratic spectrum is that when we lose the ability to hold our leaders accountable, we don't get it back. And that's ultimately what that's the cautionary tale we can point to. If you're just joining us uh, live streaming audio on the Mixler audio app, that's Dr. Fio Snegovsky, a political scientist at the University of Alberta. And I encourage you, once this roundtable's done, uh, to take a few minutes and read his newest piece at policyoptions.irpp.org. That's policyoptions.irpp.org. It's been published just today. Uh, Troubling Trends in Canadian Democracy. It's a fascinating deep dive into some of the trends that we're talking about here. Uh, Also joined by Tyler Dawson and Danny Parody, both journalists covering the Alberta legislature and other stories across the country. Uh, Danny, uh, when Jason Kenney was elected with a a resounding majority in April of 2019, after uniting Alberta's two conservative parties, he rolled into the big four center in that blue Dodge Ram pickup. And uh, and declared victory, and rightfully so. For the first time in Alberta's history, more than a million votes uh, for one political party. Did you, or do you think anybody at that point imagined that that he would resign before the next election? Are you surprised? 
Well, I don't think any of us saw a pandemic coming, but you certainly can't deny that conservatives do have a tend to, tendency to oust their leaders well before their uh, final exploration, expiration date. So I, I don't know that that part's a surprise. Um, it, it tends to happen quickly. We, I was just speaking with a friend last night about how many uh, premiers have been ousted by the Conservative Party. And, and so it, it, maybe we should have seen that coming. But of course, none of us could have foreseen the pandemic. And I think that that drastically changed uh, the way Jason Kenney is going to be viewed historically. Uh, it's it's changed, you know, even his own uh, advocacy. He was focused on working on changing school curriculums. He's focused on um, creating a more uh, more conservative education system. Uh, don't forget, of course, the energy room or the war room or the Canadian Energy Center. Uh, those were supposed to be the big uh, the big things that he was working on, and now. Uh, quite a different legacy. So not maybe it shouldn't have been a complete surprise, but it, it, it's quite different than I, what I imagined. Tyler, it, to a certain degree, it felt a, a bit like cannibalism, right? I mean, uh, you know, I think that Danny is quite right to to invoke the, the pandemic uh, for any political leader, regardless of jurisdiction, regardless of political stripe. Uh, the pandemic presented incredibly significant challenges on, on, on policy and other standpoints uh, for Jason Kenney, premier at the time essentially like being pulled in two completely different directions, right? These progressive conservatives, particularly in urban centers that expected reasonable evidence-based decision-making and then a very significant and, and uh, influential element of that party as well, in particular in rural areas that wanted nothing of the sort, uh, essentially almost a lose-lose scenario. Uh, were you surprised all of that said that Jason Kenney didn't make it through a full term? Uh, no, you know, I think to, to jump a little bit further back in the history here, um, there were a number of decisions that this government made that were just completely surprising and shocking, I think. I mean, the, the best example of that was the open pit coal mining stuff that just was completely out of left field and completely out of touch with what um, their, essentially their constituency in small town and rural Alberta wanted. So there, there were some signs that there were a few holes in the hull of this ship, I think, even before things really went sideways on the pandemic. Um, but, but I actually have a bit of a contrary view on, on Kenny's management of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, if you contextualize it compared to what Ontario did, what British Columbia did, um, you have broadly similar paths that, that the, the premiers took in those cases. Um, and so really what happened to Jason Kenney was what you alluded to. It was the, the politics of the matter. It was the United Conservative Party's base. I mean, the policy decisions were not especially outlandish um, at, at any real point. Maybe the best summer ever. Maybe the delay coming up to Christmas and re-implementing some restrictions. But broadly speaking, we're talking about similar policy choices. So it really comes down to the political culture, not even of Alberta, but within this specific party. Um, and I think once that started really rolling about a year ago, um, I think the end could be seen, but I would say one more. I know I'm, I'm eating up time here. No, um, feel free. But 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 Jason Kenney can finish his political career saying he never lost an election because he did not, in fact, lose that leadership review. He, he did win it, and uh, stepped aside. So, you know, he, he's, he can at least uh, take that with him as he goes into whatever phase of his life comes next. Yeah, I, I also passed math 30. Uh, in grade 12 with <laughs> with 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 a mark of 57 percent uh whether or not i was proud of it 
is an entire other story. Um, I would love, uh, perhaps right now, uh, we'd like to wrap our Real Talk roundtables uh, with, with an opportunity to clean up whatever we left on the table, a final thought, an observation. It can be out of left field or it can be a follow-up to something you've already said, something to give this audience something to think about, perhaps a fresh angle on a story that continues to develop. Uh, Fio, why don't we go with you first? I don't have any fresh ideas, Ryan. I, yeah, I, I bet. Just sit around. And <laughs> I bet. Talk yeah. about democracy, but That's but right. I mean, look, I, I I I I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but I I think that you know Danny nailed it when she said that you know people don't really care that much about you know whether this is constitutional or you know whether this is technically democratic, and I think we really really should, and I think it's up to people like us to remind them why we should care about the institutions that underlie our democracy. Sorry if I've mischaracterized what you said, Danny. I, I, that's, you know, I think you, you think you're probably right that it's not on the average person's agenda, such like affordability or, you know, cost of living inflation. Um, but I think the, these are these these things are so important and we don't get them back if mm. we lose them. So, you know, I'm glad that we have a chance to talk about it today. Um, you know, the, the Jason Kenny thing is is pretty funny. I think on your show a couple of days ago, Ryan, you had Vashi Capellas on, and the, the metaphor I can't remember it was you or, or her that used you know is, is the arsonist pointing at the fire and saying, "Whoa, what what a terrible fire! Uh, I can't believe uh, all those poor people." Yeah. So I, I think there, there's sort of a, a temptation for politicians to, um, while they're in office, while they have power just to bend these things and to take advantage of them for their political gain. And on their way out the door, almost universally, they lament the state of democracy. Yeah. So they know it's a problem. This is not a, this is not news for them. They know what they're doing. And I think it's up to all of us to keep them accountable for things like that. Yeah. I'm not convinced that any politician, and, and in this specific circumstance, I'm not convinced that, that Jason Kenney is upset or perturbed or troubled by the state of politics in so many ways as he's perturbed or concerned about the fact that the United Conservatives might lose the next election. I think that that's probably the bigger concern. Uh, any panelists here free to disagree with me on, on that. Danny, your final word for now? Um, since we're talking about democracy, I, I think there's a really important story um, going on within First Nations, and, and it's a there's a tension between hereditary chiefs and um, and the election process, and and letting you know um, First Nations having the space to sort out what they want. Uh, so what what is on my mind because we've been talking so much about democracy is is a story that um, that I'll be filing later today, which uh, discusses uh, her name is Marilyn Gabriel. She's a chief for Kwantlen First Nation. Uh, one of these chief for life situations. And there was a general assembly held to actually oust her. So we have the community gathering to try to get rid of somebody who is, um, who's not favored by at least a significant portion of them. And you have a, a group trying to establish a new governance code and, and new norms. So there are places, you know, even within Canada where it is very contested what's going on. And, and um, of course, there are people within First Nations communities who really value the hereditary governance, and there are a lot of examples of where it's not going well. So mm. another another thought on democracy that uh, that people may not have been aware of. Appreciate that. And people can read that at aptnnews.ca. Of course, follow Danny on Twitter at Danny Parody. Tyler, last word to you, my man, on this Friday. 
All right, I, I will first things first push back a little bit on the idea that Jason Kenney only cares about the United Conservative Party winning. I, I do think he worries about what's happening within the conservative movement. Um, obviously, a consequence of that is whether or not they can win. But I would just uh, let, you know, let, let me ask fun, you, no, and, 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 and I invite pushback. Um, let me ask you, though, like when you say even that he's maybe concerned about what's happening within the conservative movement. Like, do you think he's actually worried about the state of politics or do you think he's worried about the survival of a viable conservative party? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the difference there? Yeah, I think he's worried about the survival of a big C conservative party mm -hmm. as a, a winnable thing. I also think he's concerned about the evolution of small C conservative values and and ideas and whether or not um, small C conservative values are sort of becoming more populist and the impact that has on um on large c conservatism I, I think that's i think that's what's going on with him um but you know obviously he he flung his share of molotov cocktails in this uh in this inferno so um and i suspect he knows that mm. yeah i just noticed the r2d2 behind you by the way i'm a big star wars guy so yeah kudos <laughs> for that that's tyler dawson to the national post uh danny parody of course of of aptn and it's been a real pleasure to welcome uh political scientist dr theo snagovsky as well from the university of alberta if you want to find the links to the work that they're putting out there the great work you can check out the episode notes in this podcast or of course on this youtube episode to the three of you thanks for your availability thanks for your expertise and have a wonderful weekend Thanks, Thank you, Ryan. Ryan. You bet. These conversations, of course, every Friday presented by our good friends at Urban Timber, the Real Talk Roundtable. Also want to put Eden Landscaping on your radar. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can check out their services, their portfolio, get a better understanding of, of what they do, bringing outdoor spaces to life. Whatever your vision they will execute it with precise attention to detail. So maybe you're looking for an edible garden box. Johnny, are you like, do you have a green thumb? You were like lettuce and radishes and green onions and tomatoes and things like that? No, my wife does most of that. She's, yeah. She's the good one. But edible garden box sounds that's so right, cool, right? right? Up my alley. Everybody's doing it. Our neighbors did it. We did it last yeah. summer. You do the raised garden beds. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool trend. You get the whole family involved. So you did, do you just roll up and put your head down and graze or do you just <laughs> yeah well, well they have we have the little fence like the little like chicken wire ar around it to keep our, our black lab Monroe from getting in there because she loves to dig around sure. in there yeah. but yeah man you like pull out a carrot and just like you know I love it yeah rinse it off under the garden hose take rinse a bite it yeah, you don't even have to rinse it, do you? My part. Do we have to have small print that's like, please do rinse your carrots? And the eat Tinder them gets the mad at me. I just eat veggies like, get them from the supermarket, just eat a tomato. She's like, you didn't wash it. <laughs> There's nothing like pulling a little cherry tomato off oh, the tomato bush take in your a edible bite, garden. Oh, put it's some the salt best. on it, take another bite. It's oh. the best. Uh, but you might just need excavation. Maybe it's a new sewer line, or maybe you're doing something big, natural gas, running it out to the garage. Maybe it's hardscaping, stonework. They do it all. You can check out what Mike and his team are doing at Eden Landscaping by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. Do it now so they're ready to break ground on your project when the ground thaws this spring. Hey, speaking of thawing and freezing, we know it's expensive, right? Not just if things like infrastructure gets damaged, but just the day-to-day -day of heating your home, of keeping the lights on for more hours in the winter than we do in the summer. Maybe you haven't switched your Christmas lights over to LED yet. Maybe you're bracing yourself for that investment this winter. Well, why not save yourself a few bucks? I can virtually guarantee you will. If you take your business on electricity, natural gas, and internet to Park Power, you can compare rates today in two minutes or less at parkpower.ca, and you just click 
sign up to go through the process that our family went through to save money. The promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill, whether it's your residence, your business, or even rates that you're looking for your farm. For our rural audience members across the province of Alberta, parkpower.ca is where you're going to want to go. Such a fun word. (laughs) Rural. Rural. Hey, are you looking for your own blue Dodge Ram? I should have rolled right into this one hot out of the round table, shouldn't I have? Hey, you want to impress your... Oh, geez, we better not show the actual photo of the premier, man. Don't show the actual photo. He's going to want like 100 bucks now or something. You can get up to 15% off uh, suggested retail price MSRP up to $11,000 in total discounts on uh, North America's uh, highly decorated half ton that is the Dodge Ram 1500 of course the heavy haulers want to go up to the 3500 one ton the big dooleys they've got them all at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge you can shop online right now or of course go see them in person a couple of beautiful dealerships including that new building in St. Albert Uh, we're proud to partner with St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge And the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to ramp up your next holiday celebration, whether it's Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Festivus, someone's birthday, an anniversary, or just Friday. Why not enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake from Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. That's my home DQ. Or, of course, out in Sherwood Park where they just celebrated 25 years at the Dairy Queen on Baseline Road. You can check out DairyQueen.com. You use the drop-down menu to select your location, and you let them know that Real Talk sent you. You hit every celebration there. I probably missed one. I probably missed one. Someone's going to be like, well, what about the 50th anniversary of the whatever you have it? Okay, well, there's a DQ cake for that, too. I apologize to uh, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge if I... uh decreased sales by showing that kidney photo uh, no, no. or maybe they went up no, I don't they know. probably went either up way, it doesn't way. matter it doesn't matter who's <laughs> driving it it's a beautiful truck my man it's a beautiful yeah, truck yeah. Uh, the only thing i will say and and i probably dodge dealers across the country cringed a little bit i just wanted to say and i know i'm about a year late on the comment <laughs> i've never had a hard time i've never had a problem uh, getting the gas nozzle into my ram 1500 mm-hmm. it was always never. very it's a very user-friendly yeah. truck I'm not sure what was going on back in the day, but we don't need to take cheap shots and swipes. No. Uh, and I, I just went to a more fuel-efficient SUV, but before that, I had a Dodge Ram truck. It was it was the most reliable vehicle I've ever owned. Yeah, well, so. you know, and, and even fuel efficiency. I mean, it's all relative. Like, I went from yeah, I don't want to say Edmonton was, to Canmore mm-hmm. to Calgary to Edmonton to Calgary mm-hmm. on one tank. Wow. That's pretty unreal. Yeah. Now someone's going to write in and say, "Well, how many liters in the tank?" And yeah, yeah, I mean, that's or how much, story do for day. how much do you pay now? <laughs> but still, I've seen still you. for Hemi Power on a full size pickup, mm-hmm. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. I was impressed. Every Friday, courtesy of our friends at Local Environmental Services, we give you a chance to to you know get what you need off your chest. And I'm going to need to take a couple deep breaths. Uh, this is probably a great time to tell the toddlers and the youngins in the room to, to maybe go take five downstairs because this is another very fired up edition of something we call Trash Talk! All right, before we talk politics, this one from G Money who says FML. It's elf on the shelf time. I'll never forget the moment I first met then decided I couldn't stand this stupid elf an elementary colleague chose to include the elf in a special school christmas video broadcast to students the video aired it was all good super cute then the meltdown apparently the elf was touched 
in a video, which is a big no-no because it can lose its magic. All the kids know that, right? So kids are like losing their minds, grown-ass adults too. And the second announcement had to be made clarifying that the elf still had its magic due to some loophole. Uh, G-Money says, I don't know, I lost the will to live by then, and then I just feel that accidentally touching a toy should maybe not nearly ruin Christmas for like 500 kids. The most offensive thing, though, about this elf is that somebody decided that parents, mainly moms, needed an extra thing to do at Christmas time. <laughs> Every day in the run-up to Christmas. What man came up with this? The only thing mom needs in the run-up to Christmas is booze on the shelf that from g money i love it i know what g money wants in her stocking for christmas what about this one from carolyn who says jesperson it's not so much the belief that you know the united conservatives did something so it's stupid remember earlier this week we talked about polarization in politics she said it's the knowledge that that something coming from this ucp government on the eve of an election right six hundred dollars per child for families making 180 grand or less the gesture is disingenuous at best there's zero chance that this influx of cash into the general population's wallets would occur if the next election was three years from now. Government aid is simply not a part of the United Conservative ideology, even if we think that's one of the main reasons we have government in the first place. That from Carolyn in Calgary. How about this one from Ronnie Baby, who says, in, I added the baby, it's actually just from Ron, <laughs> but Ronnie Baby says, in times of crisis, uh, for me on a personal, international, and even a local level, last thing I need to worry about is the Sovereignty Act and inevitable litigation. Uh, the Prime Minister says he doesn't want to fight, and I think I believe him, but I fear that the Premier's fired off the first salvo in what will surely be a disastrous fight for Alberta and for the country as a whole. I understand, says Ron, that Alberta feels underappreciated and sometimes even unwelcome. You know, whether warranted or unwarranted, there's a real and genuine and sometimes even justifiable anger at the federal government. But this act is a disaster, a violation, a disgrace, and an embarrassment. And the exact thing that Alberta does not need. And I find myself with my head in my hands saying, what is happening to this place I love? He says, you want to know how to make Alberta even more of a pariah, more of a whiner, more of a black sheep of confederation with this sovereignty act? He says, Jess, well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a place that's known as a whiner, a joke, a loser, and an embarrassment. I'm so tired of the never-ending pot shots, and I know it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. God help us all! That from Ronnie Baby. How about this one from Jillian, who says, when I was first reading the news on Daniel Smith's announcement, I was like, where have I heard this before? It sounds so familiar. And then, and then I ran into a teacher that I, I used to work at, at school with, and it dawned on me, like, this is how third graders do politics. First, somebody declares himself the boss, and then they get the backing of, like, two other eight-year-olds, and then the boss gets to decide all the games that everybody has to play at recess. You don't like hopscotch? I'm sorry, the boss decided that you're playing it. And the four kids over there have to play Simon Says. This is leadership in third grade. I get to tell everybody else what to do. Now, the other kids will typically respond in one of two ways. They'll either run and tell the teacher, or they'll tell the boss that they can only be the boss if sometimes they let them be the boss, too. And it seems like Premier Smith's cabinet has chosen the latter, and they will share in the dictatorship as opposed to try to stop it. So, what will the Prime Minister do if the UCP tries to run Alberta like it's its own country? Well, uh, Justin Trudeau knows his options are to let Danielle tire herself out, let the other kids rise up against her and put an end to her rule, or intervene. 
but no teacher intervenes if they can avoid it. And Trudeau knows that. Smart teachers know to let the laws of the playground, you, you just let them run their course. And my bet is that this ends with the Premier crying to the teacher, saying nobody wants to be your friend anymore. Then when the teacher asks what happens, Danielle will say, I have no idea. I didn't do anything wrong. That's from Jillian, her two cents. And Mark brings us home today with what I love, an email that hits a nail on the head after my conversation yesterday with Graham Thompson. Uh, was that yesterday or two days ago? Earlier this week, the legislative <laughs> columnist. It's hard to keep track, Johnny. All these fabulous conversations only mm-hmm. on Real Talk. Mark says, I got this beef with media recently talking about politicians that have to like pivot to attract more mainstream voters. You know, Rick Bell and Graham Thompson both mentioned it, Ryan, in their interviews with you recently. Like, it's okay to do. My question is, why do we let them pivot? And why should we trust them if they do? If they pivot, they lied to somebody. Was it me or the other guy? You know, think about other politicians in Alberta. Does Rachel have to pivot? Does Barry Morishita? Does Amarjeet Sohi? Does Jody Gondek? No, because they don't tell one group one thing and tell another group something else. My God, what have we sunk to? That we don't expect integrity and honesty and morality from the people who represent us. We shouldn't normalize pivoting. We shouldn't become used to it. Because I worry that we'll just all start accepting the last thing they said without seeing any substantive change in behavior or action. And that's what scares me. And that's what should scare everybody else. And Mark signs off by saying, I have much appreciation for your show. Mark, I'm going to tell you, I'm keeping this one in the hopper. An early candidate for December's email of the month. You could win this Real Talk Studio mug. If you send a compelling email that gets us all thinking to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Future Trash Talks will be right back here on the show presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. John Hicks, you have yourself an incredible weekend. After a hell of a week here on the show. Real Talkers, thank you for joining us here. The home of Real Talk guaranteed Monday to Friday, 8.30 Mountain, 10.30 Eastern. We'll do it all again on Monday. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Harry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.